Okay. Um, our theme for today is peace. And the scripture is Psalm 25, 4 through 5. Um, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. This is Joanna Cole, and she is going to start us off this morning by reading our scripture for us. So this is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came Wait, 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 can I stop you real fast? Okay, I, wanted to do, I forgot about this activity I wanted to do. This was, this was my thing. Okay. <laughs> so this morning, we're talking about the wise men, right? And, well, I'm just, I'll, I'll tell you. We're talking about the wise men. And for many of you, that's probably a story that you've heard a lot of times. Even if you didn't grow up in church, this idea of there being, you know, we three kings, that, that whole thing, comes from this passage that we're in today. So here's what I want to ask you to do while Joanna reads. Uh, what I want to ask you to do is to, to, listen, to listen to the passage and to ask, what questions do I have as I'm hearing this read? Okay, that's the question I want to put in your mind as you're listening to the passage. What questions do you have as it's being read. What questions come to mind for you? Okay, will you start again? Thanks. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thanks, Joanna. So I'm curious for you, for, to hear from you guys, what questions do you have as you were hearing the passage read? This is for participation now, so if you're new here, we do this sometimes. What scripture led them to follow the star? Yeah. What else? What made them wise in the first place? Why is King Herod such a jerk? Yes. Great question. We talked about that some last week, so you can listen to last week's podcast if you want to know the answer to that. But what else? Why those gifts? What else? Why were there really three of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the place for astrology and following Jesus today? Great question. Let's, let's do one more. 
Can we get that one a little bit louder? Yeah. Why did King Herod do something wrong? Right, so I asked you guys to do this with me because I want to help you and remind you that even though this is a scripture we've heard a lot of times, that Jesus has things for us even in a passage we've heard a lot of times. That, uh, that as we come to the word, even in things that we've heard before, our, our hope is that God is stirring up our hearts with a holy curiosity that wants to lean in and ask God, what do you have for me this morning? That's what we're going to be doing in our scripture. And what we're not trusting is that God is going to necessarily give us something new, as if what we need is always something new. It may be something that you've heard before. That's okay. That God still delights to meet us there. But that w- what I'm hoping gets stirred up in you this morning is a, is a hunger to know God more deeply, even through his word, even through stories you may have heard a lot of times. And we're going to talk about three actions that we see laid out for us in this passage this morning. We're going to talk about seeking, we're going to talk about finding, and we're going to talk about shining. So seeking, finding, and shining. The structure of the service is going to be a little bit different. We're going to do the first two before communion, the seeking and the finding. Then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and then afterwards we're going to talk about the shining part. So pray with me. Father, we're thankful this morning for your word, and ask uh, that you would stir up our hearts this morning to hunger after you. Lord, pray that you would come, that you would meet with us, that you would find us, and that you'd be teaching us what it means to shine as uh, as your people in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not going to get to address all of the questions that you guys raised, right? Great questions. But we are going to talk a little bit here in the beginning about uh, who are these wise men? What makes them so wise? Verse 1 of our passage says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. That word wise men, uh, another way of translating it is magi, which is a little bit, it's still not very helpful in describing what they actually do. It's not self-evident from that. But I think, again, it kind of stirs up our curiosity. Like, okay, so what is a a magi? Magi were kind of like the magi- they, they were magicians of the ancient world, okay? They were, uh, but they were also spiritual seekers. And they were also advisors and counselors to the king. They were, they were in many ways, professional truth seekers, willing to try anything. That's why they're big into astrology, right? Is that, uh, that they're, they're trying to figure out in how do we connect with the divine, with these things that are bigger than ourselves. And so they would look at the stars to do that. They would look at the stars to try to get a sense of how do we understand the way that our world is, is working. The conjunction of the planets, right? New stars, alignments as ways of getting wisdom. It kind of makes me think of the way that I experienced Asheville when I visited there. If you guys have ever visited Asheville, you know? A lot of alternative spiritualities happening in Asheville. But it's people who are, looking, who are looking for something. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're into astrology. But there's a reason that, that people get into that, that, that we're looking for something that's true. But like I said, they're not just pra- practitioners of alternate spiritualities, right? They're also the pundits and the pollsters of their day. They were the advisors to the king, to various kings. Tim Keller talks about them as the think tankers of their day the philosophers of their day. 
the New York Times columnists, the Joe Rogans, right, who are out there seeking after truth, looking for truth, trying to, trying to figure out what's true in the world. And when we think about, uh, when we think about truth, we often put those things against each other, like alternate spiritualities and uh, spirituality in general and this idea of like hard, logical thinking. Like how could those things coexist? If you're curious about how they coexist, all you have to do is drive around East Nashville, right? That this is a part of town where I think all of us would claim, like this is a, this is a science-oriented, science-driven part of the city, right? What we care about is facts. What we care about is logic. And yet, as you drive down Gallatin, there's a store called Hale devoted to the, I mean, I guess to the dark arts, right? Is basically what it says when you drive by. That's a real thing. The church of the, the, the first church of the agnostic, isn't that the name of the church in Five Points? We live in a part of the city where this passion for truth and for knowledge and, and, and for justice in our world kind of collide with alternative spiritualities and all kinds of ways of thinking about who God might be that are maybe out of the box. We're living in a very similar world. to think about what these magi, however many of them there were, we have no idea, what they were doing in an effort to find truth. So it tells us that they, they came from the east. It's pretty vague, right? We just know it's, it's east of Jerusalem, probably hundreds of miles at least, distant from, from the place that they'd come to find this king. And there were no hotels along the way, right? There's no guarantee of safe patches. Traveling in Jesus' day was a risky business. And yet they undertook this very long journey because they were looking for something at great expense to themselves, right? They didn't get a grant to finance this trip. With unknowns as to what they would even find as they followed the star. So why would they do that? Why would they up and leave their lives, even their positions of privilege, to go following a star? What is it they were looking for? I recently read this book called The Third Pole. Okay, it's about this guy's uh, preparation and his climb of Mount Everest. And to climb Mount Everest, it takes all kinds of intense preparation. So this guy, in, in the course of the book, narrates all of the training that he did to, to get ready to climb the mountain, all of the, all of the hiking, all of the running. Uh, he slept in uh, like a high-pressure altitude tent on his bed for weeks at a time to help his blood acclimate to having less oxygen. And that's just the physical training of it. There's all kinds of logistical preparation that goes into a trip like this. He raised money to be able to fund a team to go with them. They bought all these drones that they tested at military te testing facilities. They, uh, they had to get visas to travel in through China to get up this other side of the mountain, right? They're going through Nepal, all of these things to get to Mount Everest. Not to mention that in the course of the book, he talks about how his first marriage was ruined by climbing. That he's risking his relationships and you find that he's risking death. Those people die on Mount Everest every year. He was there uh, in 2019, which was the year Everest broke, where all kinds of things went wrong. There were 11 people who died on the mountain that year. But he 
here's the thing. He was not even planning on summiting the mountain. So the point, the entire point of this climb was not to get to the top of the mountain. The whole thing, the whole thing was about him looking for a camera that went missing in 1924. So what question does that raise for you? Maybe a lot of questions, but what, what main question comes to mind for you? What's on the camera, right? What is, what is it that this man would spend so much time, energy, effort, take so much risk to find this camera? That if you were to read that whole book and never find out what was on the camera, right? What, what's the point of reading the book? Okay, that's true about the Magi. So we can talk a lot about the Magi, right? All the, all the risk that they took, all of the searching that they were doing, but the question that should drive us to is, who were they searching for? That that's the focus of this narrative. What are they looking for? I just want you to imagine the scene from Mary's perspective, right? In verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. What do you think that was like for this mom who's, it probably wasn't a baby Jesus, probably toddler Jesus, right? Who's holding toddler Jesus by the finger as he's learning to walk, and she's watching this caravan kind of pass in front of their house. All these people on camels, right, dressed kind of strangely but look really wealthy and all of a sudden this huge group of people starts to make their way toward her home. She's wondering wonder what's going to happen next. wonder where they're going. And in fact they stop in front of her house and they get off their camels and they, what do they come and knock on the door? Look out the window I guess? And as soon as they see this toddler that she's holding by the finger they fall down and worship him. they all go back to their camels and get all these expensive gifts and come and lay them at his feet and Mary is thinking who is this child what child is this right that what we see in these magi is not uh, curiosity but hmm is interesting. And what we see in them is a compulsion, is a, a hunger, is a drive to, f- to find something. And we get a taste of that in verse 2. It says, they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. How do they know about this king of the Jews? A lot of people think, if you just kind of throw back with me a little bit in biblical history, there was this guy Daniel Okay, Daniel was a, a Jew who was taken into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon, this foreign city. And Daniel was trained to be a magi. That's what the book of Daniel tells us. Trained in all the arts of Babylonia. And when the, when the king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has a dream, none of his magi can interpret it. They go, they look at the stars, they, they throw dice, they cut up open animals. No one knows what's going on. And they bring in Daniel And Daniel can give him the interpretation of the dream, but he tells the king, the interpretation of this dream isn't coming from me using all of your astrology. This is coming from the the God of the universe who I know. And let me tell you about your dream. I just want to tell you what this dream says. So the, the dream the king has, there's this giant statue 
and it has a top made of gold and a middle section made of silver and then a bottom made of bronze and then toes that are iron and clay. Like, what the heck is going on here? And then there's this small pebble that comes in and the rock kind of grows and it smashes the statue. And then that, that rock grows into a mountain that covers the whole earth. And this is the interpretation of that dream that Daniel gives. He says, and in those days, and, excuse me, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation sure. But the promise in this dream is that there was a kingdom that was coming that would smash all the kingdoms of the world. That would be far greater than all the kingdoms of the world. That it would start small, like a rock. And it would grow to a mountain that would cover the world. And what, what the book of Daniel tells us is that this Daniel who gave this interpretation of the dream was made uh, head over all the other magi in Babylon. What we, what we think may have happened is that this Daniel, that God gave so much influence, that this interpretation of the dream, that the Jewish scriptures were preserved and made their way into the magi training of this kingdom. And so what these magi are looking for is, is this king of the Jews, is this the rock that's gonna smash all the kingdoms of this world and bring a kingdom that is unlike anything we've ever seen before? And they said, that is a king that we wanna meet. That's a king who's deserving of our worship. And so they're desperate to come and see him, to know him, to worship him. And I hope that what that stirs up in us is a, is a hunger to know this same Jesus. That you may have been following Jesus for a really long time. Praise God. But God help us if we get to the point in following Jesus where our relationship with him becomes a cold, sterile recitation of facts. Because the death of, of curiosity in any relationship only breeds contempt. The death of curiosity in any relationship only, breed, only breeds contempt. That when you get to the place with a roommate, with a friend, with a spouse, where there's nothing left for you to learn about them, oh, now you're an expert on them, right? But in a cold, in a clinical way, who can explain all of their nuances but has no interest in knowing them any deeper. That's the depth of a relationship. That what this passage stirs up in us, even as people who have been following Jesus for a long time, what it commends to us is this example of being a people who are desperate, who are hungry to know Jesus more. we'd be a people who are always who are always seeking Charles Spurgeon he's this old English pastor he's dead he died a long time ago he said this he said the wise men did not content themselves with admiring the star comparing it with other stars taking notes as to the exact date of its appearance and how many times it twinkled and when it moved and all that but they practically used the teaching of the star 
They said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And they set out at once to find the now born king of whose coming the star was the signal. And then he says this to the people of his church. He says, oh, my dear hearers, how I wish that you were all wise in the same manner. I would sooner preach the dullest sermon that was ever preached than preach the most brilliant that was ever spoken if I could by that poor sermon lead you quite away from myself to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. I long to hear you say, what is the man talking about? He speaks about a savior. We will have that savior for ourselves. He talks about pardon through the blood of Christ. He speaks about God coming down among men to save them. We will find out if there's any reality in this pardon, any truth in this salvation. We will seek Jesus and find for ourselves the blessings which are reported to be laid up in him. These men were wise, and I commend their example to you. Because when they saw the child, they worshiped. Theirs was not curiosity gratified, but devotion exercised. Oh, that that would be true about our hearts. That seeking Jesus wouldn't be about having curiosity satisfied, but would be an exercise of our devotion, our desire to know Jesus more. That's what we're hoping to do in the silence and solitude that, we doing, that we're doing here during the week, on Wednesdays and on Thursdays, is that it'd be a chance to engage our hearts in this pursuit of knowing Jesus more deeply. And listen, that doesn't have to happen here, right? I just know in my own life and in my own house, it can be hard to find silence. And so we're opening up this space as, as a place that you can do that. But that's something you can do anywhere, right? It's a fanning into a flame, a feeding of this desire, this hunger to know Jesus more. And our hope is that this Jesus that we seek uh, is a Jesus who longs to be found. And we're going to talk about finding. That we, we get to seek with the confidence of knowing the one who made us to know himself. And that when we seek, he delights to be found. That's what he promises us in Matthew 7. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you. That God delights to meet people who are seeking him. And that's so different than the way that our culture so often talks about seek seeking. I remember when I was working with a, a campus ministry sitting at a Starbucks and I heard this guy talking to his philosophy TA and the, and the guy was talking about all of these questions that he had. Who, who is God? What is my place in the universe? What does this all mean? And after all of these questions, the philosophy TA looked at him and said, why do you need answers when you have such beautiful questions? Ah, oh, I just felt my heart break. Because there are answers to those questions. Why are we here? What were we created for? Who am I? Who is God? And that our God delights to reveal those things to us through Jesus. But we've been, we've, we've been raised and we've grown up in a world that tells us like, uh, like the book On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Have any of you read that? It's about uh, these two friends who spend their whole, it's like, it's like their whole life is one giant road trip. And I remember reading it for the first time and the first, the first several pages, I was like, this is amazing. The freedom, the openness, the experiences. And then you realize that Dean and Sal never get anywhere. They spend their whole life on the road. And the last hundred pages of that book were a slog for me. 
because it was so sad. Like, where are you going? What are you doing? No relationships, no anchors, no answers to any of their questions. It's like, it's like playing hide-and-seek with a kid and the kid coming back to you an hour later and saying, why did you not find me? And saying, well, I never intended to actually come look for you, right? I, I, I know we talked about seeking, and I'm seeking mentally, you know? Like, I was, I was imagining all the places in my mind where you might have been, but I never got, actually got up out of my chair to go look for you. No, that, that's not the kind of seeking we're called to. It's the kind of seeking that goes and trusts that as we go and seek, that God delights to be found by us. Yes, there's still plenty of questions, but there is a God to find. That's what we see in this passage in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. They worshipped this little toddler, this person. And the Bible, Scripture never commends the worship of anything aside from God. And it portrays this as a totally legitimate action. Which means, even here, in Matthew 2, at the very beginning of the Gospels, we get this picture of the incarnation of Jesus, fully God and fully man. That when we seek with a willingness to find, that is who we find. A God who has come among us. It's not the end of our seeking. But it's a place that we have our questions calmed as we stare into the face of a person into the person of Jesus and here's what a person can do that a fact cannot do a person can come and find you and that's what we see in this passage is that, is that the, the someone that these magi were seeking actually is the God who's been seeking them the whole time. It's a giant setup. That's the whole thing with the star, right? Who put the star in the sky to begin with? Who was guiding the, the magi to this house? That was God. And commentators will talk about, well, maybe that was Halley's Comet. Perhaps that was the conjunction of Jupiter and Venus. It may have been a supernova. Maybe. But that misses the point, doesn't it? Because what star can guide you to a specific house? People have been using stars to navigate for centuries, okay? But the stars never take you to a specific location. They just tell you what direction you're going, and you have to know what direction you need to go in first. This is a supernatural star that's leading them. That's God seeking them. And so even here in this story, we see what is the theme of Scripture, what is the hope of the gospel, is that God has come and sought us. is such good news because what we know about us is that we are unable because of our sin to get to God on our own. That all of our alternative spiritualities, all of our seeking God in punditry and in polls, all of our formal religiosity even is unable to bring us to God. Think about the scribes in this passage, right? That these, these magi, these magicians, these astrologers, who have very little, if any, knowledge of the true and living God come to seek a king. And these people who are steeped in the scriptures can tell the Magi, oh, the king will be born in Bethlehem. But none of them actually get up and go with them. But it's possible that in all of our formal knowing about God that we become so distant about God that we don't even care about seeking him anymore. But even in that place, we have a God who has come and has sought us. 
And that's what we're celebrating this morning when it comes to the Lord's table, is that we have a God who has come to seek us. Because what we know about all of those other ways, all of our attempts to find God, all they ever do is lead us back to ourselves. That all they ever bring us in our lives is death. That we were created to find ourselves in God. And when we look, when we look for something to worship at anything else, it bends us and it twists us and it invites death and pain and suffering into our lives and the lives of the people around us. And into that place, our God has come for us and has offered us himself. That Jesus, when he sums up his mission, says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's you and me. And that he did it at great cost to himself. That he gave not gold or frankincense or myrrh, that he gave his very self, his very life for you. Because he loves you, because he treasures you. That that's what we celebrate and are reminded of and are nourished by when we come to the table together. And that we're strengthened here uh, by these elements as Jesus meets with us for the journey of faith, of seeking, of knowing him more and more that he's called us into. So we're going to take this together right now. And the way we do it here, I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. Uh, I'm going to invite you to fold down the kneelers that are in front of you. You don't have to use the kneelers if you don't want to, but uh, they make a loud clunking sound if we do it a little bit later. So you can just have them down, use them if you want. And this table, it comes with an invitation that this is the place that you come uh, to seek God and to find him. Yes, in answers and in truth, in true objective truth, propositional truth, you find him there and that we find him incarnated in a person of Jesus who has come for us. That this is the place that we're coming to find him. And as we do that, what we bring is all, everything that you are right now, that Jesus has come to find and be with you as you are where you are. And so we're gonna take some time for you to reflect and this is a chance to ask God, God, where am I? And Lord, where is there sin in my life that you have come to free me from? free me from, to put to death in my life. I confess those things to you. To allow him to meet us there with his seeking and his saving love. And if you're here and you've been, you've been following Jesus and yet there are parts of your life where you're saying, Lord, I am refusing to be found by you here. If you're saying, I don't want you in this part of my life, then the warning from the scripture is don't come to the table right now. Because our call is to submit fully ourselves to God. If you're, if you're a person who sins and yet who desires to be made whole in Jesus, then this table is for you. So don't get confused about that. And if you're here and you haven't trusted in Jesus, that this table isn't for you right now either. But this is for people who have, who have submitted to the God who has come to seek them. So, so when that's you, if that's you, yes. But for right now, if you're saying that's not me yet, I'm so glad that you're here. We're so thankful and would encourage you in this journey of seeking Jesus that you would even use this time to be praying and to meditating, to pray and meditate, to ask him to come and to find you as you seek him. So let me pray for us. And the way that this will work is uh, you'll have a, a song to reflect and then I'll come up and we'll take the bread together. There'll be another song. I'll come back up and we'll take the juice together and then we'll celebrate together after that. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful 
Lord, that, um, that you delight to be found by us. And more than that, God, we praise you and thank you that you have come and found us in all of our sin and all of our darkness, Lord, and all of our fear. Uh, Lord, you've come for us. And ask that you would warm our hearts of the hunger for that this morning. So we've talked about seeking, talked about finding, and how the God, the God that we seek and that we find is the God who has ultimately come to find us. And the call in following him is to, to submit ourselves to the God, to the love that has come and found us. And the last question I think we have to ask is, what does it mean then uh, to shine? This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. You. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's us. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Someone asked, uh, what role does astrology play in our life as Christians now? Uh, it doesn't, just for the record, right? And that's because God's, uh, God's desire, the primary way that he works in our world now, the primary way that he draws people to himself is not through stars, although I'm sure he could still do that but he does it through his people. He does it through relationship. The truth that we see as the wise men come and worship Jesus is that truth itself has been incarnated, that it's relational. And that's true for what it means for us to, sh to shine our light to the people around us, to be used by God not to guide people to ourselves as if we're worth guiding people to, right? As if we have answers in and of ourselves, but to be people who direct people to Jesus, that that would be something that it has to be done in relationship. Who are the people that God has put you in relationship with? That he would want to use you to guide toward him? Maybe who is the person? Give a name of a person, like a real person. That the, the invitation, the challenge for us in being light, or like Paul says in Philippians 2, we studied this when we studied Philippians, he says that we shine like stars in the universe. That's true about you. Who has God invited you to, sh to shine to? And if, and if, since, right, this truth is discovered in relationship, what that means is that the, the people that God has called you to have to be living, you have to be living life close enough to them that they can see what's actually happening in your life. There's an invitation here, a challenge to us to, to open up our, our hearts and ourselves to, to the people around us, to the people who are here in this room who know Jesus and to people who don't. And they're trusting that as we do that, that people are going to see Jesus. 
because there are people who are seeking. And there are people who God is seeking. That's true. But think about what we know about our Jesus, right? That he is the light of the world, that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that he's your king, that he's a fountain uh, welling up inside of you to eternal life, a, a, a spring of living water. That he's promised that what, is, what he's done for you is he's fed you with a, with a bread that does not leave you hungry afterwards, that satisfies. That he's your joy, he's your hope, he's your Jesus who has never left you and has never forsaken you. Who is your good shepherd who has brought you into relationship with your heavenly father. And that we would hunger, that we would desire, that we would delight for other people to know him. That we've been invited into, we've been given the opportunity to participate in uh, helping direct people to where they can seek Jesus, to come and to worship him. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that uh, in the next year. We're going to be studying the person of Jesus as we see him in the Gospels. For those of you who are in small groups, I don't know if you were ever challenged by doing a small group discussion around Nehemiah. I know I was. Our goal is that all of our questions in our guides are going to be questions that someone who doesn't know Jesus at all, has no familiarity with the gospel, could open up their Bibles, could hear a question, and could participate in a small group. And who would, who would God want you to invite to be a part of that discussion with you? Even to think about what we're doing here on Christmas Eve, again, it's just a chance to invite. To invite people into seeking Jesus with you and alongside you. That's, that's a way that we get to uh, participate in what Jesus is doing together to help others seek this God who has come and sought and found us. So stand with me. I'm going to read this benediction to you, and then we're going to end by singing Joy to the World uh, in the doxology. I'll say this too, just for the record, okay? Uh, this is a thing that we do individually, but it's also something that we do as a community. That the way that you guys love each other, the way that you manifest, the way that we manifest forgiveness and encouragement to each other is a testimony to who God is. And so inviting people into seeking God is not this thing that you have to do off in a corner, that part of the way that we do that is we invite people to belong to this community even before they believe. And that as they see us living out the messiness of what this looks like, and trust me, I know, it's, it's hard sometimes, and we do it wrong, and we ask for forgiveness. That's all a part of this. As we invite people to belong here with us, that what we pray and hope and trust that they'll see among us is our Jesus who is working. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it get, gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.